Good morning again and welcome. My name is Craig and I am the senior pastor here and it is our privilege to have you with us this morning. Thank you so much for spending your Sunday with us here at Malvern Hill Baptist Church. If you have your Bible, we're going to be, we are going to be in the book of Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. If you've been with us for some while, you know that we've been in Acts for a long time. We will be in Acts for a couple more weeks and then we're going to uh, step back. Believe it or not, we're going to start talking about Advent very soon. So we'll be in a uh, Christmas sermon series in the month of December, and uh, we'll do something a little different in January, and then we will jump back into Acts and finish Acts in 2023. All right. If you have your Bible, stand with us. Oh, I forgot to open mine. Hold on. Hold on. Y'all, I was so caught up in the songs we were singing, I was hoping Kevin was going to stay, and I was just going to grab a mic, and then we would just have a good time, but... Might have just been us having a good time, and the rest of y'all might not have before it was over with. But I, I, I was tempted, honestly, to grab and go this morning. So maybe later. All right. Stand with me in honor of God's word. We're going to read verses 20 through 25 of Acts chapter 12. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus. The king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would show us how it is that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. God, use this word to remind us of your power. Father God, may we never shrink back from walking in faith. Hide us, Lord God, under the shadow of your Holy Spirit as it moves among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The only thing I want to mention before I jump in with both feet, we do have a trunk or treat scheduled here tomorrow. It is supposed to rain. Uh, we will still do that. It will just get moved inside. So if you are planning to volunteer and be with us, be here uh, at the same time. If you were planning to decorate your car all big and fancy, sorry. Um, but uh, uh, we will do that as planned. It just may be an indoor event rather than an outdoor event. We do have plenty of space in our gym and other areas to accommodate that. Have you ever found yourself sort of wringing your hands, uh, worried that the world was going to hell in a handbasket and the church was just going to be pushed to the side? If you have, you're not alone. As a matter of fact, you're, you're not just not alone today. You're not alone throughout the history of the church. We can look back at 2,000 years of history and we can see that repeatedly the church has struggled with fear, with, with fear that perhaps that the world was going to overcome. I, I came across this quote, I think summarizes many today. I, I believe one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. That's not a quote from last week or last year. That's a quote from the end of the 19th century. That was a quote from Charles Spurgeon who died in 1894. Throughout the history of the church, there's been an awareness that culture was pressing in on the church. And as a result of that awareness, we can sometimes find ourselves being given over to a spirit of fear because of the 
impressing, the pressing in of the culture on Christ's church. Today I want us to be encouraged and reminded that regardless of what's going on in the world around us, regardless of how it may feel at times, that Jesus gave a promise to Peter that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. Not only do we have the promise of Jesus, we have a look at the end. We know the book of Revelation. When the church of Jesus Christ is victorious in the world because God is over all. This morning, I want to encourage you. The word of God can go forth even when it seems like the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Because the God of our faith is stronger than the God of the world. Listen, the first thing we see this morning is that the church prevails against worldly opposition. Now, we have ourselves here in the book of Acts chapter 12 a lot of worldly opposition. The Bible says that King Herod was doing everything that he could to squelch this church as it moved forward. Now, interestingly, we have a lot of good historical evidence outside, extra-biblical historical evidence to support everything that happens right here in Acts chapter 12. Uh, Josephus is a Jewish historian that gives us our greatest account here, and he, he recounts the story of Herod's death. And his recounting is very similar to the biblical accounting. The only difference is that the Bible is a little bit more graphic in exactly what's happened. Interestingly, Josephus, a Jew, accounted that Herod's death was as a result of his blasphemy. This wasn't only a Christian interpretation. This is also a Jewish interpretation. When, when Herod was willing to claim for himself glory that belonged only to the Lord... God judged Herod. Folks, I want you to know that the world, the church prevails against this worldly opposition. Herod had imprisoned Peter. Herod had killed James. Remember why? Acts chapter 12 doesn't give us the story of why. Acts chapter 11 gives us the story of why. The church is going wild. Christians are running through the culture and delivering people to Christ over and over and over again. The Holy Spirit is changing lives. And as Herod sees what's going on, and as the Jewish community is concerned and angered about what's happening in the church, Herod says, I've got to do something here. I've got to make my supporters happy. I've got to get in the way of those who are trying to grow this church. And so he tries to cut the head of the church off. James and Peter, boom, we're going to put James to death. We're going to put, it, put Peter in prison. And we're going to hold on to him long enough that we can make a public spectacle of his death. Herod was seeking to stifle the church because oftentimes the church is a threat to authoritarian governments, right? What in the world's going on when the government, as we mentioned last week, loses the threat of death? When the church is no longer afraid of what man can do, governments have little control. But it isn't only governments and tyrants. The Bible is very clear. There's a spiritual war that we find ourselves living in. First Peter says that Satan is a roaring lion roaming the earth, seeking those whom he may devour. Paul talks about the spiritual battle in the heavenly places. The church is engaged in a battle against the spirit of the world. Even when Jesus spoke to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 that I mentioned earlier, and he said, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Wrapped up in that verse 
is the suggestion that the gates of hell would attempt to prevail against the church. You recognize that? He says it won't win, but he didn't say it wasn't going to try to win. The gates of hell were actively opposing and are actively opposing the advance of God's kingdom. Listen to me though. The God of the church is greater than the God of this world. The God of the church is greater than the God of this world. The Bible refers to Satan often as the God of the world or the spirit of the, of, of the air. That he is one who would seek to undermine the working of the true God. Now keep in mind, little g God, capital G God, okay? That's, there's a difference there. So he is the spirit of the power of the air. He is, he is the one who is, has control over so much happening in the world around us. You know, I don't often feel the need from this position to speak out or denounce public personalities or government leaders or celebrities, though occasionally I do, but usually I don't feel the need to do that. Why? Because when they speak out against our God or they speak out against the church of Jesus Christ, here's the reality. They don't have the power to oppose the God that they speak out against. You understand? He is greater than the God of this world. I don't have to stand up here and take time away from proclaiming the word of God to speak ill of everybody who has something negative to say about the Lord. He's big enough to fight his own battles. You understand? I had one of my kids come home from school one day, and uh, it, was, it was a little bit comical, but also kind of weird. She said, Daddy, my friend said that her daddy doesn't like you. I was like, who's your friend? He told me, I said, I don't, I don't even know this guy, right? Well, he says he doesn't like you. I was like, Daddy, what, do you, what should I do? I was like, oh, heavens, nothing, nothing, nothing. I, please, please, I, I don't need you to fight this fight. I don't know if you have daughters. You don't want them getting in the middle of, of, of their daddy getting spoken ill of. Like somebody says something ugly about me to one of my boys, and they're like, oh, yeah, sounds about right. The girls are sharpening their blades, right? They're, they're great. Get you a daughter. They will take care of you when you're old. Your sons will just make fun of you while you lay there. <laughs> they take care of their mama, though, so it's okay. Folks, here's the reality. I don't need my kids to fight my fights. You don't need your kids to fight your fights. We, the Lord certainly doesn't need us to fight his fights. Let's be careful. Let's know who it is that we worship. He's just fine. When Elijah stood up to battle the prophets of Baal, he didn't need to defend the Lord. You understand? you remember? He steps up and he says, God, they've been saying some pretty ugly things here. Lord, how about handle this? That's sort of the Craig version. That's basically what happened. Lord, take it. And then Elijah steps back and the Lord does everything else. The church prevails against worldly opposition. This is how the word of God can be multiplied over and over and over again. This is why the church continues to go forth. Because the world has no power against the God of the church. As long as we remember who our God is and whose we are. We are just fine. We're just fine. Oh, our memories can be so fickle though, can't they? We can forget who we belong to. We can forget it. Years and years ago, before I got married, my brothers and I went on a fishing trip to Costa Rica. And uh, while we were there, uh, we had some things get stolen. And one of my 
Sweetheart Brothers had left his passport somewhere other than his pants pocket. Please don't ever do that. Um, and as a result, when the things got stolen, he lost his passport, which meant that we were stranded. Well, he was stranded in Costa Rica, but uh, being the good brother that I am, I made sure that he wasn't alone in Costa Rica. And um, so there we were without a passport, one of us, and we went to the American Embassy in, um, in San Jose, in Costa Rica. And we got in this huge long line, and we waited on a Monday morning to get a new passport so that we could fly back home. And so we stood in that line. Nobody looked like us. Everybody else was waiting to get in because they were foreign nationals, Costa Rican peoples who wanted to get into the United States. And we waited in that line. And at somewhere, I don't know, around 8, 8, 8.30, when the, the, the folks began to come to work, there was security that would come out and just kind of walk through the line up and down every once in a while. Nothing intense, but they would just patrol the line. And we walked by, and they stopped us, and they said, Are you Americans? I was like, Man, did we stick out that bad, you know? We did, just for the record, you know. I'd, yes, we are. He said, Oh, well, well, this isn't your line. That's not your door. He said, Follow me. Yes, sir. So off we go. We didn't have a line to stand in. He looked at us, he said, Men, this is your embassy, and this is your door. Welcome to America. And we walked into the embassy. We skipped the line. See, we didn't understand exactly what who we belonged to meant in that particular situation. We were citizens of a different country, and as a result, we could walk into that place and find safety and security immediately. Listen to me. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not forget whose you are and who he is. You belong to the king and you have all of the rights that come with his children, including his strong arm of protection. How can the word of God be multiplied because the church prevails against worldly opposition? The second thing this morning, the church prevails against unbelief. Over and over and again in Acts, we see the church, the church, the church. The word of God is being multiplied through the church. What is particularly amazing is that even unbelief within the church doesn't dismantle the effectiveness of the church. I want you to run back and remember the earlier parts of Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, James is killed and Peter's in prison. The church is praying. Remember, and then last week we see that Peter is set free from the church, or from the church, mercy, uh, that Peter is set free from prison by an angel of the Lord. And then if you'll recall, Peter walks on and at some point he wakes up in the middle of the street and goes, oh, this isn't a dream, this is real. And Peter is escorted, not escorted, I'm sorry, Peter finds his way to the house of um, of Mary, the mother of John, and there were a lot of believers gathered together praying for Peter. And what happened? You remember? Peter knocks at the door, and a young girl comes to the gate, and she says, Who is it? And he says, It's me, Peter, let me in. And she goes, Oh, it's Peter, it's Peter. And she gets so excited, she runs back inside. Right? I think I mentioned this last week. My kids have done this before. You know, Mr. So-and-so's at the door. Mr. So-and-so, did you let him in? Uh, no, no, well, go let him in, you know. 
But she runs inside and she says, Peter's here. And, and what happens? The church says, oh, Peter's not there. Peter's in prison. Peter's in prison. Look, the church is gathered in this house. And the church, not outside the church, the leaders of the church are gripped by unbelief. How in the world could the church overcome unbelief of its leaders? Watch this. Healthy community guards your heart against unbelief. Healthy community guards your heart against unbelief. Some of you struggle to believe because you're not doing enough to be engaged in healthy community within the church of Jesus Christ. You say, my belief's struggling. My belief is faltering. My belief, my faith is weak. Let me encourage you. Plug into a life group. Show up when you don't want to be there. Do you know when you need it the most? When you want it the least. Show up. Find yourself around the people of God on a regular basis. And watch the church of Jesus Christ fill in the gaps in your own life. Look, who was it that was beating on the door? It was this girl. Who is she? No, 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 don't, don't answer that yet. Stop, wait a minute. Tell me who else was gathered in this house. Run back to Acts chapter 12. When he realized that this, that, that's, that's Peter, he went to the house of Mary, I'm in chapter 12, verse 12, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered. So who was gathered? Come on. Who was gathered? Many. Thank you. I appreciate whoever was brave enough to speak the truth. Many. All right. So not Manny with a capital M, right? Many. M-A-N-Y. This is just a nameless, faceless crowd. We don't even know, for instance, if John was there or Mark. This is John Mark. We don't know if John is there. We just know that it's at his mama's house. He don't even know if mama's home. We just know that many are gathered in that place, okay? All right. And then a servant girl came to answer the door. Who is the servant girl? Rhoda. Has it ever struck you guys as odd that this house is packed slam full of the leaders of the early church and the only name we get is the servant girl Rhoda? Some of y'all are grinning. It never clicked with you. And then some of you right now are going, yes, I've got a chance. The girl that cleans the toilets is the only one that gets her name mentioned in this passage. Watch this. The church of Jesus Christ needs all of its people. Help the community guard your heart against unbelief. And here, when the church wasn't believing as it should, when they refused to believe that Peter was alive, who guarded the church against unbelief? It wasn't a leader of the church. It was a servant girl named Rhoda. There's some teenager that comes in and goes, No, you have to believe because it's real. Rudyard Kipling in the Jungle Book writes this, For the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. Some of y'all didn't even know it was a book. But you've seen the movie? And they always say that in all the movies that have been made. The strength of the wolf is the pack is the wolf. And the strength of the wolf is the pack. Folks, the strength of the church is her people. And the strength of her people is the church. And when you are weak, you have the church to come around you and to undergird you and to support you. We need all sorts of people from all sorts of places, from all sorts of walks of life to help us see the world through all sorts of different 
lenses. We need to regularly, regularly be reminded that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We need to regularly be reminded, as we will in just a few moments when we observe the Lord's Supper, that when we gather around this table, that we are one and the same in Christ. No rich, no poor. No strong, no weak. Here we are all beggars coming to the table of Jesus, pleading for His grace. The church of Jesus Christ will guard you against unbelief. The church prevails against unbelief. I'm not talking about false belief right here. I mean unbelief. We're going to talk about false belief in a minute. But folks, let's be honest. Oftentimes, it's not false belief with which we struggle. It's just unbelief. You've not been tempted to believe in a different religion. You've not been tempted to believe that God is not the God of the universe, or that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, you've just been tempted to not believe He can, or that He will, or that He is able. Oh, we've gotten so smart that we don't even need Jesus anymore. And that's exactly what we had in this passage in chapter 12. He's at the door! No, Rhoda, quit being so childish. Peter is in jail and they're going to kill him tomorrow, Rhoda. Grow up! And somewhere I wonder if in the back of somebody's mind when those words fell out, they heard Jesus. Saying a little something about the importance, the necessity of faith like a child. I tell you what, if they didn't hear it when Rhoda said it, they heard it when, Jesus, when Peter finally walked in the door. Didn't they? Somebody said, man, we should have listened to her. Somebody in the church said the strength of our church today was not those of us who walked with Jesus. The strength of our church today was within that little girl who experienced Jesus in a different kind of way. Listen to me. You're valuable in this church. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you came from, where you've been. It doesn't matter if you were born to lot or little. It doesn't matter if you've got all the education or none of the education. None of that matters because here in this place, here's how we will be known. As children of Christ, as children of God and brothers and sisters in Christ. We gather around our table multiple times during the week. Side note, family, eat together. Eat together. Turn the TV off, put your phones away, and eat together. Often. I don't care if it's hard. We, we have to do hard things. Eat together, okay? And ask questions so that you teach your children to communicate with you and you know how to communicate with them and pray for them. All right? I know this isn't part of the sermon. This is free. You can take this home with you, all right? So I'm going to tell you how to do it. You ready? First, you fix food. It's easy enough, okay? And then you wait for everyone to get home. Suck it up. I don't care if it's late. I promise. I really don't. 
right? Like we, we, we know what it's like. You don't know. I know, okay? I know. I know. I know what it's like for nobody to be home until 8 o'clock. I get it. Right? Wait. It's worth it. Y'all gonna shower. Sit at the table. There's food. Doesn't have to be fancy. It can be a sandwich. It can be soup. You can pick up KFC occasionally if you need to. There's food. There's a table and there's people. Okay? So you got most of it handled. There's no television and there's no screen. That matters. And then you sit there and you stare at each other awkwardly. Because if you don't do this often, nobody knows what to do. So they just sit there and they're like, what are we doing? So listen. Listen to me. Ask two questions. You start at one side of the table and you work your way around. Say, tell me something good that happened to you today. And you participate. And then when that finishes, you say, tell me something bad that happened to you today. If you want to finish on a good note, start with the bad and finish with the good. It doesn't matter. Watch. Everybody's got something. Everybody come up with something good usually. You know, we had fish sticks for lunch today. I don't know. What's something bad that happened? It's really that easy. If you want to combat unbelief in your own house look if the church needs to be strong and healthy how much more our homes all right we're going to go back to the sermon now we're going to come back to this in a few weeks by the way so just brace yourself it it, we gather around our house we go around our table i have four children one wife and a dog Some nights the dog is my favorite person sitting at the table, except for Angela, right? He doesn't like have a seat or anything. He's just under the table hoping somebody drops something. But when those children are gathered around that table, they all have their own names. They all have one name that really matters at that table, and it's their last name. It doesn't matter if it's the youngest or the oldest. They're all my children. Equally, universally. They got different gifts. They got different skills. They have different personalities. But they're mine. You understand? They belong to me. That's what matters. When you come into this place, you're a child of the king and a member of Malvern Hill Baptist Church. And that identity is what matters most of all, we all have different gifts and skills. Well, my children, they're different gifts and skills. If I need something off a top shelf, I go to one of them. But I have this one kid that I use in a mean sort of way. Because we have this shelf in our laundry room that I can't reach. And you really can't get a ladder in there to get to it or anything. It's because the, the washing machine's in the way, you understand? And I'm too big to be standing on top of the washing machine, but I have these children that are just the right size, and I just pick them up, and I stand them there, and then they can reach up on the top shelf. Sometimes they're small enough to put them into little small spaces and to retrieve things. You understand? We all have our purpose. You've got a purpose. And believe it or not, there may come a point in time when the greatest purpose you'll serve is going to be to stomp your foot and to remind us Don't stop believing. He really is at the door. I know it's hard right now, and I know I may seem simple to you. But Jesus is enough. He's real, and He works. 
you might get to serve that purpose in our church one day. But even if you don't, you might have the privilege of being locked up in the house when Rhoda comes marching in and there's a small child that runs in and reminds you that you can believe. How can you guard your heart against this unbelief? Be plugged into the church. It's a safety net. It's a family and it's healthy. Healthy community guards your heart against unbelief. Third this morning. So we see first, the church prevails against worldly opposition. Again, how, does the, how can the word of God be multiplied? How does it go forward? The church prevails against worldly opposition. Primarily because Jesus built it, you understand? The second thing, the church prevails against unbelief because the community, a healthy community, guards our hearts. The third thing we see this morning is that the church prevails against false teachers. Now look, false teachers can arise within the church. It's possible. But oftentimes, they first arise outside the church. And then they seek to infiltrate the church. Herod became a false teacher outside the church. Now, let's give you a little bit of history. So the Bible, actually what the Bible says is, we just take it at face value, you get about all you need to know. You just got to kind of read between the lines and, and understand it. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. We don't really know why. So they came to him with one accord and having persuaded Blastus. Now persuaded. This is maybe one of those little slimy words. Like persuaded may have been bribed. They did something to get one of the king's chief uh, associates to, to grant them access to Herod. So they persuaded the king's chamberlain. They asked for peace because their country depended on the, on the king's country for food. In other words, they're starving to death. They need Herod to guarantee that they are going to have enough food for their country. They're purchasing food from Herod, essentially. He controls the flow of food. So uh, they bribe his people so that they can stand in front of him. And on an appointed day... Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne. Now, this is great. I mean, what a horrible, pompous display of power. On an appointed day, hey, you tell, they got their appointment, and Herod shows up, and he makes sure that when he shows up, he's dressed to the nines. He's got his royal robes on. He sits upon his royal throne. Some of you dads have done this when some snot-nosed man showed up to take your daughter to the prom. Right? Or a date or whatever. You carefully planned your outfit. Some of y'all, no, I didn't. Yeah, you did. Don't lie. Right? I showed up at a, at a girl's house one time. There were several of us going to a, a, a formal, and um, we were going to have dinner at the home of one of the young ladies who was going. And when we got there, Dad had several guns laying on the, on the table when we got there. And he pulled his daughter's date over and he said, son, I just wanted to show you a few of the guns out of my collection. I said, wow, that is awesome and terrible. I grew up with a man who had a collection of bullets. And he literally wrote the name of every boy who ever took his daughter out on a date on a bullet. And he set it on the kitchen counter and he said, son, I just want you to know this one's yours. I hope I never have to use it. Right? I'm not saying you should do that. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Right? It's all up to you. 
Like we, we've all had a point where we dressed to impress in some particular situation. You went to a job interview. You were careful about what you wore. In this particular situation, Herod wants to make sure that everybody knows who he is. And he wants the people of Tyre and Sidon to fall down in front of him because he controls their destiny. And they know it. And they know that Herod is pompous. They know that he is crass. They know that he wants all the attention. So what do they do? They walk in and they fall down before him and they say, Oh, oh, great Herod, the voice of God and not a man. He delivers an oration. He gives them a speech. And when he finishes, they go, This is a God who has spoken to us. What an amazing voice. What wonderful words. Now you'll recall that when... Paul finds himself in a situation and they say, this is Zeus. He says, whoa, 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 no, no, no. I'm just a man like you. When the angel of the Lord finds himself in particular situations a couple of times in the word and somebody falls down before him, he says, no, stand up. You don't worship me. Herod hears these words and these people bow before him. And Herod likes it. And he accepts it and he takes it on. The Bible says that an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he died a painful death about five days later is what Josephus tells us. Herod was a false teacher and was allowing false teaching. Listen, a foundation of lies and falsehood cannot bear the weight of biblical truth. A foundation of lies and falsehood cannot bear the weight of biblical truth. The church prevails against false teaching. Watch what happened. He was eaten by worms. He breathed his last, verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. How did the church combat the false teaching from Herod? Not through crafty words of wisdom. The Bible says the word of God multiplied. The church didn't change what it was doing just because Herod became more prominent as a false teacher. What did the church do? The church continued to do what it had been doing, preaching the word of God, preaching it over and over and over again, proclaiming the truths of God's word. And as a result, it multiplied. It continued to grow. Listen, truth always wins. Truth always wins. It may take a while. The Lord's Supper reminds us about all this, right? That there is ultimate victory in the truth. But it might not always seem on the surface as if truth is winning. Jesus died on a Roman cross, laid in a grave. And on the third day, he rose again. The truth won, but it did not appear victorious in the beginning. In a few minutes, we're going to take the Lord's Supper and be reminded that the victory of Christ came about. Our kids are coming in because we're going to take the Lord's Supper. I should have given you this warning. If you're a guest with us or new, they're going to come back so they can be here while we do the Lord's Supper. Good job, guys. But the Lord's Supper reminds us that the victory of Christ was won through His Shed blood and broken body. Okay? So, 
in conclusion this morning, I want you to hear this. Jesus builds his church to advance his kingdom. Jesus builds his church to advance his kingdom. And there is no plan B. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples. After he rose from the grave, he would later do what? He would later remind them of their responsibility to go and to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus did not give to his disciples then and what he doesn't give to us today. There is no plan B. The church of Jesus Christ is the only hope for the spread of the gospel throughout the world. The word of God continued to go forth in the days of Herod regardless of the fact that the world opposed it. And the word of God continues to go forth today. But it goes forth as a result of the faithfulness of Christ's church honoring and obeying his word. So this morning, how can the word of God be multiplied? How can we see the gates of hell being pushed back and the church moving forward? Folks, I want to suggest to you today that we do it through humble and regular submission to Jesus Christ who gave his life on the cross for our sins and rose again so that we may live. I want to explain this memorial meal to you as our deacons come forward. This morning, our deacons uh, will be serving the Lord's Supper to you, right? Um, and, and the Lord's Supper is um, a representation, a memorial meal. Jesus said to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. There's no mystical union that takes place as a result of this. This is a memorial meal that reminds us of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It reminds us that Jesus Christ had to shed his blood on the cross so that we might be forgiven. The Lord's Supper is a visible and physical representation of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And y'all, the Lord's Supper is given to those who are followers of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I would encourage you not to take this meal. Instead, this morning, I would urge you to take Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The cup of the Lord's Supper and the bread represent the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. And our sin was so grave that it was necessary that Jesus Christ would die so that we might be forgiven. This morning we've spoken about the church, but I want to remind you this morning that the church is the church of Jesus Christ that was purchased with his blood. And this memorial meal is for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Um, the, uh, the language that we use for the Lord's Supper. The scripture verses for the Lord's Supper come to us from the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, and in the book of 1 Corinthians, we have a reflection, a, 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 a record of Jesus' last 
Supper with his disciples. And exactly what he said. Um, This morning, I'm going to read that and I'm going to pray. And then after I do, uh, these men will carry uh, first um, the bread and then the cup. And we'll um, pass it out and scatter it among you all. Um, It takes a minute. There's a lot of y'all. So please be patient with us. Uh, As you're patient, I would encourage you. Uh, this is a great opportunity for quiet contemplation. Um, if you have children with us, listen, this question comes up a lot. If your children have made a, com- a, com- a commitment to Christ, a confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, please assist them, teach them what the Lord's Supper is. But for your children who have not made that confession of faith, the Lord's Supper is not yet for them. And so kids, I want you to see this today as a visible representation of the death of Jesus Christ who died for you. And if you don't know him today, we're still going to have an invitation in just a few moments. At the end of this time of memorial meal, I would invite you to come. I'd love to talk with you about what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body. He'll pass this out to you, then we will pray over it, and we'll take it together. The Bible says that the Lord gave thanks for this. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for the reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus gave on our behalf. Lord God, we get next to no physical nourishment from this, but Lord God, we do pray that you would strengthen our spirit as a result of these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Bible says in the same way, after supper, he also took the cup. The Bible says in the same way, he also took the cup. So I've always assumed that meant he prayed over it again. So join with me. Father God, thank you so much for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that has purchased our salvation. The Bible teaches us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, Lord God. Jesus willingly came so that we might have life. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you. Church family, one of my favorite things that we ever do in our church is to worship the Lord Jesus Christ with the dirty dishes of the Lord's Supper laying around us. I love to see this little bit of mess, dirty cups, as a reminder that Jesus 
purchased our salvation on the cross of Calvary. This morning, we're going to stand in just a second, and we're going to sing, Hallelujah, Christ is risen from the grave. As we stand and sing, I want to remind you that Jesus shed his blood and his body was broken, but the grave could not hold him, and death couldn't keep him away. That Jesus came running to save you and me from our sin. If you're here today, and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, we read here in 1 Corinthians that as often as we drink the, bread, the, the cup and eat the bread, that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I stand before you today and I beg of you, do not leave here today in your sin. Jesus died so that you might be set free. Come today and be delivered. It doesn't matter where you've been or who you are. The Bible says that through a young servant girl named Rhoda, that the church was delivered from her unbelief. You are not insignificant. God has a place and a plan for your life. Come today. Be saved and set free. Jesus is enough. Stand with us today as I pray. Lord God, I pray that you would be at work. Father, perhaps there's somebody here today who wandered in broken, hurting, scared. Father, there may be somebody here who came today knowing that they're lost. Perhaps they've known for many months that they need the Lord, but God, they just haven't had the courage. Lord God, I pray today would be the day that, Father God, their fear would be replaced with faith. That they would come to you and find salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning as we sing, I'll be standing right here at the front. It's okay if you don't know exactly what happens after that first step. I would love to introduce you to Jesus Christ. He died to save you. And He desires to have a relationship with you today. As we sing, would you respond and come today?